The scripture this morning comes from John chapter 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. We're studying the story, and I hope you are reading the chapter each week. And if you've not been, it's not too late to jump in and just kind of read along with us. You know, when you meet someone who isn't ordinary, it's... Um, it's special, isn't it? I mean, if you go see somebody maybe who's famous, I got something in the mail the other day, Bill Cosby is coming to Freed Hardeman, you know, it's like, well, that'd be somebody to go and see, and you can pay a little extra, you know, and have your picture made and get to meet them, or maybe you've met a former president, or maybe a famous athlete, um, maybe you go into a concert and got a backstage pass. I mean, you know, those kinds of things are, are neat, and, and those moments, they, they mark you. What I want to do today is, is introduce you to someone who isn't ordinary. In fact, he's not extraordinary. He is in a class all by himself. There's never been anyone like him, nor will there ever be. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He was present at creation. He was born of a virgin. He grew up in a small town. He worked as a carpenter. He didn't own a home. He was hated by his enemies. He did incredible miracles. He was condemned to death. He arose from the grave. And we can talk with Him every day. His name is Jesus. I hope you'll allow me for the next few minutes, minutes just to take a, a few moments to, to talk about why Jesus is no ordinary man. Why He's extra special. Because if you meet Him, it doesn't just mark you for the night or the moment or for the next couple of days. If you know Jesus, He can change you forever. And He can change your future You'll never be the same. This week, if you're reading through the story, chapter 24, you know we're in the New Testament. We're, we're seeing Jesus teaching His parables, his, his miracles, and we're learning a great deal about Him as He's revealing Himself to people. So a couple of blanks, if you want to fill in with me, you can follow along. The first, I want us to see that Jesus was no ordinary teacher. He was no ordinary teacher. He wasn't just informative. He wasn't just interesting. He wasn't just engaging as a teacher. He was mesmerizing. The things he said had never been said before. And so people were just so caught off guard. They wanted to come and hear this rabbi speak. He was so different than anyone else. And so people came by the droves. They would flock to hear him. We recently completed a Sunday night study of his best known discourse. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. He teaches here on this mountainside of the Sea of Galilee. And, and there the crowds, they gather in this natural amphitheater. They all are able to hear. And of course they can because Jesus is the one who created that. He understands that. And Jesus taught this longest section of Scripture we have recording. Mark Moore describes it this way. In it we have the epitome of Jesus' teaching. Radical, sensible, spiritual, and almost vicious in its demolition of hypocrisy. See, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount was upside down. It was so different than anybody else had even taught. I mean, who in the right mind would, would say things like the poor were actually going to be the ones who would be blessed? That they would be the ones that, that would inherit the kingdom of heaven, what it's all about. That the meek would inherit the earth. No one in the right mind would suggest that the mourn would be those who would be blessed. Why would Jesus teach that? 
So Jesus looked at everything differently. He taught things differently. He helped people to see things differently. He primarily taught through parables. And we know that's just a story, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he followed the same method of operation, the same MO. He would share a parable and teach it to his people and explain it. Sometimes his listeners would be right there with him and sometimes they seemed to, to miss it. We were talking in our Bible class, the men's class last week, how Jesus has changed things. Samaritans were uh, abhorred people. And to call someone a Samaritan would be like a slur. And because of Jesus' teaching, good Samaritan, one of our elders pointed out, is now a good term. We think of it in a positive way. He totally changed everything. See, every rabbi would have their own platform, their own teaching, their own interpretation of the Old Testament. And if you study that about rabbis and how they taught, there was a term for that. It was called their yoke. That was their teaching. So when you think of the term yoke, you need to think of it, well, that was their platform, what they believed. That was their teaching. And so you think, well, that's what this rabbi taught, so I want to follow this rabbi. That kind of explains Jesus' words. Look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my teaching upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. His teaching was unlike anybody else. Because others, they have this rule, especially in their day, so many had these endless set of rules. Here's what the Old Testament taught, and let me add this, and add this, and add this. And Jesus didn't teach that way. He was about freedom. And this rabbi wants to perpetuate his yoke, his platform, his teaching. So he wants his followers, his disciples, to accept that message and to perpetuate that message, to embrace that message. And there's even a saying that sums it up. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in our 24-7 Follow Jesus teaching. There's a saying that it goes back to the Mishnah. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be so committed to your teacher that you're listening, that you're soaking it in, that you're following so closely that his dust is on you, that you're covered in his dust. 1 John 2.6, I think, says it so well. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. But what about his teaching? What did he teach? I want you to hear what people thought about Jesus' teaching. Mark 1.27, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. Now get this, the word amazed appears 30 times in the gospel. Three times, Jesus, it's used to describe Jesus being amazed at, at someone or something. But 27 different times, it's used to describe people's response to Jesus. They were hearing him teach. They were watching him in action. And the people were amazed. They're amazed at his teaching, his miracles. They're amazed at Jesus. All these different areas. He was the greatest teacher who ever lived. And I can't help but think when Jesus would teach, it would be the buzz the next day. Kind of like a, a football game or kind of like a, a TV show or a big movie premiere. Everybody's talking about it. I think that's what was going on in Jesus' day. He used humor. He used poetry. He used illustrations. He would go back and quote the Old Testament. And everything he used, it resonated with the people. And they loved his teaching. He was no ordinary teacher. 
But secondly, get this, he was no ordinary king. We talked about this a little bit last week, about his kingdom. His kingdom was different. Not like they expected, not a political kingdom, not a military kingdom. But it was a unique kingdom. And it started from the beginning. You remember the wise men, the magi, when they came seeking Jesus as an infant. Matthew 2, 2, they asked the question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Now, book in that. That's the beginning of his life. You go to the very end of his life. When they nailed him at the cross, what was inscribed? Do you remember the words? John 19, 19. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Obviously, they, they, they didn't realize how true that was. How truly he was the king. And throughout his ministry, no king would ever talk about his kingdom the way Jesus did. I mean, think about Jesus' kingdom. And the way he taught, the way he lived. He accepted outsiders. No king would do that. He welcomed back prodigals, the very ones who had thrown stuff in the face of their fathers. No king would do that, but Jesus did. Kings would talk about their strength, their military power, their ability to rule well. Jesus isn't any ordinary king. He would say things like this. When you throw a party, when you're having lunch, or you're having dinner, you invite the people that no one else does. And since we're his disciples, if we're following this same rabbi, we do the same thing. So we want to be a church that cares for widows and orphans. We want to be a church that helps the unemployed and the underemployed. We want to be a church that ministers to those who are hurting, to those who are grieving, to those who've been divorced and they're trying to figure out what to do with their lives. We want to be a church that looks out for the overlooked. I was out of town last Saturday, went to a wedding, some of you were able to be a part of something that was so special, kind of unique. Some of you know the Ayers family. They moved to Columbia just about a year ago. Taft and Malaya, they're two kids. They're trying to adopt an orphan. Did a most unique uh, fundraiser where they would bless a widow and do some remodeling on their house. And all the money they raised would go to help bring that orphan home. More than 70 people worked that day. Most of them members of West 7th. What a good thing. What an awesome thing. It's moments like that. A mission like that. It can be here, it can be abroad where you realize that's what the kingdom is about. That's who Jesus called us to be. Luke 14. Listen to his words. Verse 12 through 14. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is his kingdom. See, he's no ordinary king. Everything's turned upside down. Everything's different. And central to the teaching of Jesus, central to this kingdom, he would talk about this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of God. He uses that phrase as he teaches. And time and time again, he tells these stories and describes this is what the kingdom is going to be like. And it's not what people expected to hear. But the long-awaited kingdom of God had come. Again, as we mentioned last week, it wasn't a political kingdom. It wasn't a military kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom. He came to set the captive free spiritually. He came to help those who were poor and downtrodden. He came to help those who were out to come in. 
the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they are now going to be allowed to be a part of the kingdom. He's the king who came to initiate his kingdom. And that Sermon on the Mount, he gives those, those definitions, the whole paradigm shift, the whole different way of looking at things. And when you read through that and you listen to that, but more so when you accept that and you live like that, you'll never be the same. One author pointed out that there have been hundreds of presidents and kings and in times of war, they've always done the same thing. They have asked their subjects to go out and lay down their lives for them. But there's only one king who went out and laid down his life for his subjects. Jesus is no ordinary teacher. He's no ordinary king. And then third, he was no ordinary man. The Bible tells us that Jesus was both God and man. Not 50% God and 50% man, but 100% God and 100% man. And we, we struggle to understand this. But what we know that when Jesus came in the form of man, He was fully man. The Bible tells us He entered this world through a woman, through a human birth. He became thirsty. He was hungry. He wept at times. He, he, he was concerned for those he cared for. He slept, he was ridiculed, he was beaten, he died, he was human. We, we know this. But we think, well, if he was human then, how could he be God? And how could he do all these miracles and teach all these things? I mean, the Bible tells us there are 34 specific miracles listed in the Gospels. And another 15 references like in generally, like he performed wondrous works among the people. So over and over again with these references of Jesus doing some amazing things. And nobody else was able to do that. But there's something different about Him. Something unique about Him. He was fully God and fully human. But when we think about God in the flesh, let's be careful how we put that into our brains because sometimes we think about, well, maybe He was like a, a robot, kind of like a Spock. I mean, He was above us. I mean, He was, had better control of His emotions and He had all full knowledge. He had everything that we don't have. And so that's how He was able to be sinless. That's how He was able to be perfect. That's how He didn't ever give in to temptation because, you see, He had a head start. He's got like this extra bonus. I mean, He never really sinned because He's God. And so we discount that a little bit. But when we read what happened in the, in the garden, when he prays to God and asks, is there any other way? He's in such agony. You remember the Bible tells us he, he sweats like blood. And he's praying and he's begging and he's crying. He's giving it all, just asking, God, is there any other way? Do I have to go to the cross? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, robots don't bleed. Spock doesn't feel things, but Jesus did. That's where Hebrews 4.15 paints a, a better picture, the correct picture. So different than sometimes we think of Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. I think it was Max Lucado who said this, Let him into the muck and mire of your world. Let him in, because only if we let him in with his humanity can he help pull us out. He understands this world. See, Jesus came and showed us what would happen if a person walked so in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, they'd be one with him. 
and enjoy the life just the way God intended for it to be. So Jesus would sometimes pull away from others and spend time with God the Father. Why would He need to do that if He was fully God and and not fully human? He needed that. We think in our minds, well, He didn't need that, but He did need that. And He sets that example why our own time of prayer, personally praying, is important. We've got to listen to God, talk to God, listen to His Spirit, meditate on His truth. And think about some of the statements that Jesus shared about Himself. He's no ordinary man. If any man has seen me, he's seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am, destroy this temple, I now rebuild it in three days. Do you hear these statements? What he's claiming, what he's saying about himself. No one ever made those kind of statements. Nobody ever made those kind of claims. Nobody ever taught like Jesus taught. Nobody ever did like Jesus did and follow through with it. Remember the goal of any rabbi was to to pass along his yoke, his teaching, his platform. That's what he wanted. So their followers would do that. So how do we then follow Jesus in this way? I think we have to look at what happened after Christ and the resurrection and see those early disciples. So go to the book of Acts, and we see that they were successful in doing just that. I love the verse in Acts 4.13. It's so powerful. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, they were covered in the dust of their rabbi. They looked like him. They sounded like him. They talked like him. They were depending on the Holy Spirit, not themselves. And why not? I mean, they had a front row seat. They were there for his teaching. They were there for his miracles. They saw it all happen. The turning of water into wine at a wedding. The healing of the demon-possessed man. The raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. Over and over and over, all these stories. I want to call your attention to one. And I alluded to this last week. But there's one miracle that's recorded in every gospel. It's the feeding of the 5,000. That's what we call it. And we know there's more to it than that. But even the setting, to me, is worth noting. There's 5,000 men. We know that. They've come out to see... Who is this teacher? Who is this rabbi? Is he the Messiah? Is he going to be the new king? Is he going to be the new leader? And we know that 5,000 men, some interpret that to mean, well, if you count women and children, it could be 15,000 or more. So a huge gathering of people. Do you remember, though, the setting? What had happened? What's going on here? Jesus had left the crowds. Why? Do you remember? He just received word that John the Baptist, his cousin, his friend, had been beheaded. He withdrew. We can relate to that, can't we? You get that kind of news, you just, you just kind of want to get away. Maybe just be with family, close friends. And that's what Jesus does. But the people, they won't let Him go. They go and meet him there. And not just a small group. It became a large group, a huge group. Thousands of people are there. And Jesus, instead of being angry or perturbed, or won't you just leave me alone for a few moments? Instead, he graciously receives them. He teaches them. He heals them. But here's the thing. The disciples, they don't seem to share his compassion. I mean, you get the idea that they've skipped a meal. And maybe they've skipped two here. Some, some scholars think they've skipped two meals. And it's been a long day. 
they weren't prepared to stay that long. The people are just hanging on. The lines are long, one after another. Thousands of people. Everybody's listening to Jesus. Look on the screen, Matthew 14, verse 15. This is the way Matthew describes it. As evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, the disciples typically preface their comments to Jesus with a, a term of endearment or a term of respect, even Lord, Lord, but not so here. If you go back to the original language, they're actually telling Jesus what to do. They're giving Jesus a command. Send these people away. Let them go get their own food. They stand there longer than they intended to. It's not our responsibility to feed them. Let them go and take care of themselves. But again, Jesus is not perturbed with His disciples and their lack of respect and their lack of compassion. He gives them an assignment. Look in verse 16. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. I know you know this story. Uh, You've heard it many times. I have too. The disciples do some checking. Actually, I think they'd already done the checking here. But the teacher had captured their heart, their attention. The people were so caught up in being near this Messiah, this rabbi, this teacher. They they just kind of lost all track of time. Look what happens next, verse 17. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Five loaves of bread and two fish. What I hear them saying is, it doesn't say it in the text, but that's not enough. We can't even get started. And they counted correctly. But what we know is they focused only on the physical. They looked at just the food they had in hand. And that's what we do, isn't it? We're in a situation, we're in a bind, we're up against a, a rock in a hard place, we're, we're stuck. And what we tend to do in those moments is we see just the physical. We rack our brains, we say, there's no way we can do this. There's no way we can feed this crowd. What I sense here, the desperation, is that word, only. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. As if we're up a creek. That John's Gospel records Philip's comment. Remember what Philip said? This is the guy who likes to calculate. This is the accountant. There's usually at least one in the bunch. And we're grateful for them, but he puts it in perspective. It would take eight months of wages for every person here to have a bite. That's a lot of money. There's a lot of people. And that's his point. Five loaves, two fish is not going to cut it at all. But Jesus takes these five loaves and two fish And he adds one. One unordinary man. As I read this story, I wondered in my heart, when Jesus asked them, what have you got? He knew they had counted. He knew what they had. I wonder if He wanted them to add five plus two and one more. To know Jesus was right there with them. Isn't that interesting? His disciples who had heard His teaching, they'd heard His parables, they'd seen His miracles over and over more than anybody else. They're right there and they seem to miss it. The one who could help them. The one who could make things happen. And Jesus is just begging them to change their count. Just to count again. Just to open their eyes and see that Jesus is right there with them. 
here's my point and here's the challenge. Here's what I want us to learn from this. When life is tough, when the odds are against you, when you feel like there is no way, what I want you to do, when you're counting, when you're assessing, add one more. You add Jesus. Allow Him to work and do only what He can because He's no ordinary teacher. He's no ordinary king. He's no ordinary man. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. And what happens is when that day comes and that trumpet sounds and every knee will bow and we see Jesus coming on a cloud, it will be a moment of triumph and we will say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is no ordinary man. But if you're not ready, then that day is a day of dread. If you've not confessed that Jesus is Lord, if you've not obeyed His command to be baptized, we're going to sing a song to encourage you to do just that. Or maybe you as a follower, as a disciple, you've got 15,000 people to feed and five loaves and two fish. And it's time to count. We would encourage you to count one more. And if we can pray for you, one of our shepherds will be down front to help you open your eyes and to see that Jesus is right here for you. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?